This is Eager Feet, a podcast where we move from the mundane to the sublime and back. And I'm here today with Cedric Piggin. And, and um, Cedric is my cousin, uh, but that's not the greatest of his attributes. Um, Cedric is the DRS at Sancta Maria College in East Auckland. Um, Cedric has really strong interest in philosophy, especially in ethics. Uh, he has a BA from Auckland and, um, and also a graduate diploma in education. Um, so welcome, Cedric. And I wanted to start with a question related to the topic that we'll discuss today, which is personhood. So my question is, what's the point of speaking about personhood? Isn't it a bit abstract maybe and um, depending too much on a, a very traditional worldview? Um, why can't we just be more pragmatic? Hi, hi Cameron, thanks for having me on. Um, personhood, yeah, it's a, personhood's a really interesting, an interesting uh, topic because I think it it really covers a whole bunch of different um, you know kind of historic but also really current issues as well um, you know I mean I, I suppose I suppose you know we've got to first define our terms you know what are we talking about by personhood and, and I, I suppose it's just a simple way of describing that is um, is just like um, what do we mean uh, when we say we're part of a moral community and and I think person for me is is someone who uh, who is part of a full part uh, of 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 our community, um, morally speaking. So, so that that um, that's something which uh, the the boundaries of that moral community has ha have had great uh, and massive um, historical consequences through the centuries. I mean, you know, you had right back to the ancient Greeks. You know, the the moral community were the Greeks. You know, of the city states, and then you had mm. The, the barbarians and the, the bearded ones, I, you know, no offense. Uh, <laughs> and um, and the uh, you know the the, the non-Greeks were seen as human, but as as lesser, you know, lesser, not 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 to the same equality. And then you that went on to the Romans, and you know, you had the, you had the Roman citizenship was mm. the full member of the moral community. You got you know you got to be uh, beheaded instead of crucified. You know, you had a lot, lots of other privileges. You know, if, if you know executed. So. So, uh, so again, they had this idea of person, moral personhood, which is um, a, a subset of that that human community, I suppose you could say. And then, and then that's gone on and on and on, and it's slowly and uh, slowly expanded this idea of personhood to include um, people that aren't of your own city, aren't of your own citizenship, aren't even of your own race. And so, a lot of um, and then, you know, I think we're making some good progress, abolishing the slave trade and that kind of thing. And then, and then mm. here comes the twentieth century, and you've got tens of millions of people killed, you know, because they were seen as human, but not as, as persons, you know, I mean, you know, like with the Nazis and that kind of thing. So that's the historic perspective. But then even today, um, it's, it's a live debate on, on what, what being a person really is, you know, you've got, we had a river being made a legal person a, a couple of years back in New Zealand. We've, um, uh, we've had the, the, um, current government, um, Basically, taking away all legal personhood from unborn humans um, in, in their latest uh, legislation, we've had um, yeah, we've had yeah. So it, it touches a lot of uh, current issues as well. You know, um, what is it? You know, do we have to earn personhood? You know, do we have to? Um, what does it take to, to to join the club, so to speak? And mm. is, it, is it a who defines the rules of the club? You know, and, and who 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 grants access, or is it 
a club which is already there and we just have to discover and recognize it or is it something that we're making up as we're going along so so yeah that that's all that that's what's really fascinated me for for, for many years you know how mm. do we find the group the group is obviously important because it's literally a life and death situation you know for uh, many people throughout history and even today so yeah mm. so thanks for that and and especially the the the, um, the historical overview is kind of um interesting to see the development or the broadening of the the notion of what it means to be a person but i, I still think maybe there's this objection that that you could put forward um to this concept of the person um which which we seem to have various disagreements about because there's different philosophical and theological traditions at play in our society um, and we certainly no longer as a society as a whole um, are unified by say the christian narrative where um which which might be where our general notions of personhood come from so wouldn't it be more appropriate today in our current society to do away with um, this kind of abstract or even metaphysical um, notion of personhood when you're almost talking about some something that can't be seen um, to just go for a more pragmatic well well kind of what works what um, how should we treat one another um, to maximize human flourishing um, why do we need to invoke um, big um, high terms like personhood and why can't we just um, basically come up with ways um, ways of behaving uh, as a community that best um, promote human flourishing yeah so uh, it's a good question I mean obviously you know I mean again going back to the historical perspective that the concept of the person does have a uh, very ancient pedigree in, in, in terms of defining um, its definition. I mean, like it actually arose in the, um, in the in the struggles of the early Christian church to define what they meant by the Trinity and by God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so they came up with this idea of, well, persons. There's three persons, uh, but one God. So yeah, you're, you're right. There is a there's a lot of theological. Uh, Questions within that, but uh, but I think it's perfectly appropriate to to separate those theological questions out and put them to one side, and and even when you do so and, and take away the theology altogether, you've got a you've got you've still got um, normal Western society talking in terms of persons. For example, you just pointed out um, that you know why, why don't we just um, maximize human flourishing, you know, and why don't we you know maximize the good of the community, but what but implied in this idea of even the word community is moral personhood because moral persons are the are the constituents of the community if you don't have moral persons or moral like individual um individually located moral um, agents within the group then there's no group there's no you know that the moral community is defined by who's a person and who's not you know um in terms of that just just purely uh, you know, an individual who was the um, who who was recognised as having rights and liberties and responsibilities and all that kind of thing, and that's so richly 
um, expressed in our, like I already mentioned, our, our legal framework. You know, we have legal personhood. We have um, we we have uh, business. You know, like in the business world, we like companies, some companies are defined as as persons, but also um, right uh, as an international consensus. Right after the Second World War. Um, the um, International Declaration of Human Rights was, was a charter of, 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 of what, what we ought to, as a human community, moral community, ascribe um, in terms of rights to other persons. You know? So um, even though it was called the Charter of Human Rights, it's, 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 it's talking about personal rights at the end of the day. You know? so, um, and even you know, my, my friends in the, in the animal rights community would, would, would say, hey, well, you know, why are we talking about human rights, um, that they're, they're a big fan of personal rights because um, it's it's not, not speciesist, you know? It's not just saying, well, you know, I'm a human, so we're okay, and let's stuff the, stuff the rabbits, you know? So, mm. I mean, and there's, there's serious scholars, you know, within the ethics community that, that, that see no reason why we shouldn't extend moral personhood to other highly developed mammals, such as whales and uh, et cetera. So, so yeah, no, I think, I think the, the concept of personhood is is certainly um, stands on its own and, and indeed is necessary as a part of our narrative, um, uh, apart from any theological uh, context at all. Even though it does have a, you know, it has have many many relevant connections to that. Mm. So yeah, that's good. Um, so you mentioned um, a river being granted um, the status of personhood. And you mentioned um, people in the animal rights movement. Um, so, what's um, what's my question? Sort of about: Are we still wanting to limit um, the notion of personhood to human beings, or do you see an advantage in extending um, that notion to encompass, you know, other living beings and even non-living? Um, things I think yeah that's a good question because I mean you know again there's 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 a lot of scientific uh, questions being asked as to whether we're alone in the universe you know I mean and you, you, um, you don't even have to uh, like limit it at, at talking about non-human mammals that we know about but I mean you know if if, if the little green men show up tomorrow uh, are they you know are they persons or not so we really need a very robust uh, definition of what a person is to deal with both the potential uh, alien alien invaders and also not that I really um, take that too too seriously, but also the yeah but yeah other 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 very you know um, obviously valuable mammals and that kind of thing you know there's mm. um, what does it yeah what what are we talking about when we're talking about person and that and that's the next step well okay if we agree that the category is important. Then the next step is absolutely let's let's define or try, try and define as much as possible what that actually means to be a person and, and you know what are the characteristics which define it. Um, the the classical definition of a person even um, it doesn't actually define a person um, as as human you know uh, which is actually an advantage in this. We can't be accused of being speciesist because uh, the classical definition. Uh, by a Roman philosopher called, called uh, Boethius, um, if I get his pronunciation right, is that a, a person is a is a rational substance, an individual uh, substance in a rational nature, and it gets a little bit Aristotelian in terms of the the terminology there. But what he's basically saying is um, 
is a person as individual you know you can't have two two humans for example who are one person there's there's an individuality there um uh, and and their their substance is of a rational nature so so it's in the nature of that entity to to be rational to to reason to you know to to communicate to reason to form relationships etc and so i think that that definition is a is, is a pretty solid one to at least you know start to wrestle with you know and, and one that automatically avoids speciesism it avoids um uh, a lot of a lot of fish hooks that's for sure mm. so um an individual substance of a rational nature um one of the things that that came to mind um when you brought up that definition is how do we discern um, what is a rational nature um, given that we don't have access to the, the inner life of um, say other living creatures for example and or the or the inner currents of the river um, uh, well, yeah, well, obviously you know I'm talking to you right now but I can't depth the inner in a plumbing of your personal depths type thing you know I can't mm. uh, enter your subjective consciousness and verify your your personality so to speak you know from the inside I've only got to infer that you know from the outside from the empirical evidence I have in front of me but that doesn't stop me you know talking to you um, you know being friends with you for example you know so so um, I don't think that's a major barrier I think we, there's lots of evidence right you know in common sense evidence you know that we have to to plumb whether um, an individual entity that's sitting in front of us has a rational nature or not. If my if my um, I'm babysitting a little 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 uh, cavoodle at the moment, little dog, and if 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 he if she started tracing uh, interesting marks in the dirt in a, in, a, in a in a kind of hieroglyphics type way, then that would form evidence that hey, there's something rational going on here, you know. And, and I'd have to take that seriously, you know. So mm. yeah, there's there's plenty of ways we can. Um, we, we can we can kind of define what that rational nature is you know um yeah so and, and you know even on the simpsons i remember there's a there's an episode where um where homer that you know for some reason they question his rationality and he ends up in a mental asylum and um of course at the end of the episode um they, he he's released and, and they stamp up his hand um with a stamp saying not insane <laughs> so 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 yeah we have we have ways of defining rationality because we have ways of defining irrationality you know? so, mm. so yeah i think i think that's not a massive hurdle to to overcome um you know the, the jane goodall's work with the 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 chimpanzees of gombe you know i'm um, trying to teach them sign language etc cetera, etc cetera, you know that's trying to trying to plumb them and see whether they have a a, a rational um or, or you know what, what levels of rationality they're at i think is um yeah, it's an ongoing thing, you know? Yeah. Mm. So are you sort of, um, so you're basically open to the idea that another species might be found to be rational, but that we don't jump to the conclusion of rationality. We, we wait for the signs of rationality to, to be shown to us. Well, yeah, that's now the signs of rationality. That's, that's what, what actually bringing us to the heart of, of the moral question, what, um, of personhood as I see it and that is um, we seem to fall into two main camps when it comes to uh, seeing like like 
seeing rationality in, in other entities. Um, the, the traditional, perhaps the traditional way of seeing, of, of defining an entity is, was like, like I said, due to its nature. And, it, and the nature of something isn't really what that thing is doing all the time. Uh, the, the nature of something is what that thing characteristically does or the potentials and capacities that a member of that type of thing potentially has. So the nature of a rabbit and the nature of a hawk um, may be completely different, even if the hawk never gets to fly, right? That's in the nature of the hawk to fly, even if it's not, in fact, flying because I've locked it up in some cage, you know? So, mm. so then that brings, so when we talk about rationality as a characteristic of a person, um, we need to be careful what we're talking about because um, there's lots of entities, uh, in, indeed, there's lots of humans um, who we would characterize as persons uh, who, who either don't display any rationality at, at all, um, you know, in our face, or their levels of rationality ebb and flow as the 24-hour day goes by. They might go to sleep for 12 hours and then... Mm display any rational, you know, um, evidence of being rational, or they may um, decline in rationality, you know, are they more, um, you know, as they get older and get, you know, maybe a bit, a bit doddery, you know, as they get older, are we saying their personhood is going down as, as their, you know, as their amount of Cameron level rationality goes down as well? Or, or, or are we, no, that seems pretty stupid. It seems to me that you're either in that category or you're not, you know, that, um, uh, and then, uh, then again, like, you know, when we see a child growing, you know, a one-year-old, how rational is a one-year-old? Not very rational, you know. Um, uh, traditionally, we've seen the age of rationality is somewhere around seven. And before that, you know, you're not locking up five-year-olds for, you know, um, setting the house on fire kind of thing, you know, because we recognize, you know, and, and, and legally speaking as well, that there's a, there's, there's a stage where rationality is not, is not sufficient to, to judge someone. So... So yeah, we, 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 we have a sense of rationality being um, different between people, different between um, uh, between people and also w between a person's stages of development and even in, in a 24-hour day. So rationality is, is clearly part of being a person, but it's not clear at all that we should make it, make it a direct one-to-one -one comparison saying, mm. if you are solving pi to the 10th degree then you're more of a person than me you know mm -hmm. um, even though you may be smarter than me does that mean you're more of a person it seems ridiculous to say that you would be so so then we go back to this you know what, what i'd say is the superior view of of um of of personhood which is someone who possesses a rational nature which is so this entity has within their nature um, the capacity to be rational either at the time or in the future or in the past, but they've, they've got this continuum of, of, of personal identity, which includes um, rationality as a, as, a, as a necessary factor of that identity. And that applies, you know, um, that would apply to an alien as, as, as much as you and me. So it's not speciesist, but, it's, but we give that moral value to that entity regardless of the amount of rationality they're displaying at any one time. So that, that, that seems to make the most sense to me because it, it fits, um, because, because the other option, which is actually needs to be um, explored as well, because it's actually the actual 
Um, as a society, we're moving towards the other option. The other option of saying, if you're obviously rational to me at this point, then you're a person. But if you're not uh, obviously rational to me at this point, even though you're, you have a rational nature, then you're not a person. And we've seen that, you know, we've, we've got um, now like humans in New Zealand can be killed right up to birth because the, um, you know, legally speaking, because um, the people that have legislated that have said, okay, we're defining personhood as once you're born, you're a person. And before you're born, you may have a rational nature, but you don't, but that doesn't cut it. Like you, you, we're just imputing, um, we're, we're granting you personhood from birth and um and we've got this cutoff and that's and that that's all there is to it basically you know um so uh and one of the one of the reasons behind that that line of thinking is what i've just described this they call they call it the um the, the i think it's called the personalist view of, of the person which is that uh you're a person if you're displaying your personal characteristics and it's not just rationality i mean we can talk about language we can talk about the ability to form relationships, you know, all, all those good things that we think are great about humans and, and integral to being a human, you know, when we mm. talk about someone being inhumane, you know, we're saying that they're not displaying those good characteristics of personhood at that time, you know. Um, uh, and again, you know, we, we see, I, I see, you know, I'll give another example of at the end, other end of the, the, the life spectrum. Um, we see a lot of people, you know, advocating for, the elderly to be able to uh, be allowed to and assisted to commit suicide through euthanasia, for example. Uh, and at the same time, we've got a, um, a very strong movement against youth suicide in our country. So um, I see, I see this kind of concept of personhood as being, uh, as very mixed into that. We seem to put more personal value on a young person than an older person, you know, an older person sitting in a rest home, they might be, you know, not, not very with it. You know, we seem to be saying, well, because they're not really with it, you know, they're better, you know, they're, they're using up all the hospital resources. Let's just, let's just kind of, you know, help them to kind of, they're not really worth much anymore, you know, because they're not just, they're not writing symphonies. They're not, you know, podcasting, you know, they're not really contributing to society. And so this real utilitarian kind of um, perspective comes in where, you know, Utility is, if you're making utility, that's a good thing. If you're old and daughter, not really contributing much utility to society, therefore, um, you're not as useful. You're not, and, and therefore, you're not as personal because you're displaying those personal characteristics. So yeah, the although the, the rhetoric around uh, euthanasia tends to be around choice, doesn't it? Like, um, it's more about someone should have should be able to make that choice when they are experiencing unbearable suffering. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, right. and maybe they're, 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 um, they're, they're going to die anyway kind of thing. Um, so that seems to be the, the main thrust of the argument rather than these people, this person is not very useful to society. Uh, okay. But so, so, but, but yeah, you know, you're right. That's exactly what you hear, but then do they use the exact same wording when they're talking about a 19 year old considering suicide? It doesn't seem to enter the debate from that side. Yeah, it doesn't seem to. Yeah, they don't, and 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 then we've got to ask the reason why. You know, we've got two humans. They're both considering. They're both rational. You know, um, same people commit uh, considering suicide. What 
um, they both may be depressed, for example, right? Have clinical depression, etc. They're both considering suicide. Um, why don't we use the same argument? Well, it's their choice, you know, um, for the 19-year-old. Because, in my opinion, there's a there's an underlying utilitarian uh, and um, and and uh, theory of personhood which which uh, puts value on your actual participation in rationality and you know other personal characteristics at that point in your life. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, I know that there are some proponents of euthanasia who talk about it being more a case of your physical suffering and you have to be um, um, terminal, basically. So mm. you have to have some terminal illness that's causing you unbearable suffering. And, uh, and in that case, you can... Um, yeah, you, you should be able to choose to end it sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just without getting too far into the, the euthanasia um, debate, I think that's really interesting that we place such a huge uh, emphasis as a society on, on personal choice. I think that in itself um, underlies the, underlines the, uh, one, another massively important uh, part of, and indeed defining characteristic of personhood, and that is personal autonomy. You know? mm -hmm. um, personal autonomy is 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 huge. And um, the so so again we, we go back to okay, well we, let's put that characteristic to the test. Um, if a four-year-old hasn't yet developed to the stage where they can demonstrate and use that personal that potential, that 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 natural personal autonomy which is built into them as a human being are they less of a person and 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 also if if an elderly person has lost their ability to to make um personal you know like you, you utilize their personal autonomy what does that say about their their personhood you know um and that's and that's what it really boils back down to that the I agree that personal autonomy is 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 a really is one of the main planks of, of human rights, you know, um, but and personal rights. But why do we we seem to us you know we seem to um, get mixed up between having rights but also having value as well, you know? And and so can we have value and can we have rights even if we can't demonstrate? those rights even if we can't exercise those rights you know um that's and 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 how does that affect other people's personal rights as well you know um yeah mm. um so the, the other thing i was going to ask about is something you said before um where you're saying that we see a a move in our current social climate towards this um i think you said personalist um, approach understanding of the person so it's more based on um, observable attributes rather than on um, some intrinsic nature yeah so it gets confusing because personalist seems to refer to person so yeah. yes personalist is that um, there's there's two main streams of thought on, on this there's the personalism which is like you said this kind of the ability to demonstrate personal characteristics as, as what you'd call a first order characteristic and then we've got physicalism as the name of the other school of thought, which says that 
if you're physically um, of a nature to display personal attributes at some point um, or as part of your nature, then you're a person. So um, some people call it like a second order ability to be personal. So for example, a five-year-old has doesn't have a first order capacity to be rational or exercise autonomy, but they've got a second order capacity to do that because if you just allow them to do their own thing and eat their wheat bix eventually, they're gonna they're gonna be able to uh, demonstrate that capacity. Um, so yeah, so it's physicalism is you're a person if if you're of that nature, and personalism is you're a person if if you can demonstrate that nature. Um, mm. How, why do you think that we are moving from um, from maybe from a physicalist, which is maybe the more traditional view, to a more personalist one, um, when at the same time we seem to be growing in sensitivity towards, I don't know, um, um, minorities and um, groups that maybe don't exhibit so much strength when it comes to um, competitive things in society or or we, we want to um, also give um, rights to animals and so on. Yeah. And yet... And yet you're saying, and I think it's true, that we're moving towards more of a um, direct evidence-based approach to personhood, whereas you've got to show your your um, your signs of personhood to me now in order for me to treat you like a person. Okay, I think there's three main reasons why this this process is happening. Um, and I, off the top of my head, I think number one, uh, there's there's a philosophical move from away from essentialism to existentialism um, the whole idea of a human nature was born out of this idea that humans have an essence and that we we um, and this is goes right back to aristotle that um, different uh different species have a different essence and then you know what it is by by what what it does so then they they display that essence um in their behavior and in, in their secondary or uh, characteristics i think aristotle talked about um, the substance was what something was, and then the accidents was what something did or looked like, or you know the secondary things about that entity. Um, so, so the first, the first thing is that we've moved, as in Western society, from essentialism to existentialism, where the most important thing about you is not who you are, but who you want to be. It's not the most important thing that that that. Um, about you is your own narrative that you're telling, that you're, um, and I'm no, you know, I'm no expert in existentialism, but but the I even pronounced it wrong, but <laughs> like, um, but but my, my gist of it that I I, I my understanding of it is that um, existentialism is about um, meaning coming from the lived experience, the lived um, uh, that the, the stream of consciousness that we are in right now, and that our our meaning and our lives and our worldview is defined by by the way we seem to look at things. That that idea that um, beauty is in the eye of the polder, that uh, man is the measure of all things. Um, that that to me is is the essence of uh, excuse the pun the ex essence of existentialism. Um, so yeah, and and with of course with ex existentialism, if you don't have a stream of consciousness to begin with, if you are one year old. And you're not really conscious, you know, very conscious. If you are 95 years old and in the advanced dementia, then from an existentialist point of view, number one, you're not a you're not a seat of continual consciousness. So in a sense, 
you don't have that same sense of being existing as you and I do. Number two, as an ex, uh, the ex existentialist viewpoint is very much um, subjectivist when it comes to moral value, right? That um, it, it and this goes into the postmodernist kind of um, uh, area where we're, we're going away from this common narrative, this meta narrative that we're all um, of the same essence. We've all got the one human nature, then we can work together to fulfill that. That was the old way, and now it's we've all got we're, we're all inventing our nature as we go along. We're going into transhumanism, this idea that we can transcend, we can pull ourselves up from by our bootstraps and transcend who we were born as and become whoever we want to be. You know, and you see that in some of the transgender debates that are going on at the moment. People are no longer wanting to be defined by their human nature. They're wanting to say, no, my personal autonomy uh, trumps my physical. Uh, characteristics, right? I, um, I choose in my own existential, um, you know, condition to be what I want to be. And indeed, the I think a lot of the existentialists actually say the only meaning you can get in your life is if you do do that, if you transcend where you came from and you make authentic decisions from you, which are untied to your culture, heritage, and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing, which which I think flows out of that a lot of a lot as well, is moral relativism. This idea that um, uh, you know that morality itself is this kind of construct that that we're just making up. You know that 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 that's a convenient construct for getting along in society, which has no objective truth value, right? And if you buy that, then what you're buying is the fact that the Nazis, when they you know, and I hate to bring up the, the old trope, you know, but it's it's a, hey, it's still within living memory. Um, you know, Queen Elizabeth was talking about this the other day. You know, it's 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 the Nazis. Um, if you buy moral relativism, you cannot criticize the Nazis, right? And what were the Nazis doing? They were saying, "Here's a group of humans. This group of humans are persons. This other group of humans are not persons, right?" And so, an essentialist, an essentialist would say, "I'm sorry, Mr. Himmler. All of those humans have a rational nature. Therefore, they are all persons, right?" But a um, moral relativist would be like, well, you know, that was okay for Hitler because Hitler's, you know, that's that's that, that's his, you know, 1930s German values kind of thing. And, you know, a lot, a lot of Germans, you know, they, they got voted in democratically. So a lot of Germans obviously agreed with that uh, cultural, um, you know, way of valuing people, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but so that, that's the moral relativism. And then we see that continued, even though we, 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 the, the absolute, depraved horror of the Holocaust kind of made us recoil from that in the, in the years immediately following the Second World War and uh, allowed the world's nations to come together and sign this amazing document called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, we've gone away, we're going away from that again, you know, you, you hear about, um, you know, people, you know, real, real kind of woke, you know, uh, Western liberals saying, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, female genital mutilation in Sudan, you know, oh, well, that's just their cultural practice. We can't come in as and and and, and use our Western imperial values to mm -hmm. recolonize those poor Sudanese, you know, who are just trying to get get on and do their do their thing, you know. That's that that moral relativism is is um is it applies to personhood because it's saying um personhood is about value. You're only a member of the moral community because you have value. You know, you don't if you don't have any value, why would you have interests or rights, you know, but if, who defines your value? If if moral relativism is correct, then I define your value, not you. I define you, like because 
the observer defines the value of, of what they're observing. Not There's no intrinsic value within you uh, in your nature. I'm just saying, oh, yeah, you're a good guy. You're okay. But, oh, that a different colored guy over there. Well, he's not. You know, he's not. I don't value that person. And so, so perhaps it, it undermines the the, integri the integrity of the community, right? Um, well, so well it, it makes community this construct which you can reconstruct in your own image, you know, which is mm. which which led to well, what did Stalin do with the people that he didn't feel were in his you you, you know utopian community? You know, they went to the gulags, you know. So that's the real. That's where the rubber hits the road with these ideas. They're nice ideas to have as a you know, cigar smoking kind of, um, you know, uh, spectacle wearing, you know, philosophy pr professor on the, on the, uh, on the bank of the, of, of the river. But, but this is, if you actually put these ideas into practice, that's the, that's the real consequences of them. Mm. So that's the second thing. And then lastly, I know I've gone on, but lastly, I think the, the, the last thing which is pushing us toward this is because um, you're saying, well, you know, but we're, we're trying to include human rights and, and uplift minorities and that kind of thing. And that's because um, the narrative, now that we don't have a, a meta-narrative now, we've got people uh, now that are, I suppose, what's the word for it? It's like double think. The, 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 the best word I can think for about it is double think. You know, this Orwellian idea from, I think, his book 1984, that um, it's, a, it's a blessing if you can think two contradictory things at the same time. Okay, so for example, we've got you know our Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, you know we're, we're, uh, when she was pregnant, talking about her baby and how you know she's really looking for you know she can feel her baby kicking and she's you know playing her baby music and that kind of thing, having a relationship with her baby. But in the exact same circumstances, um, like that, and, and you know, and, and legally speaking, she has this idea that there's no baby there, there's there's nothing there until birth, you know, like legally speaking or morally speaking, you know, so. That's one. That's one example of it. But there's a bit, been a real breakdown in, in in our in our common consensus that reason should be consistent. And and I even see that the most ironic thing I think about now this is is um you know you see so much um, vilification for people who are flat earthers or <clears throat> anti vaxxers or you know people that are seen to be going against the, the scientific consensus on global global warming and all these kind of things. So you've, you've on one hand, we're raising up science and de deifying science as this, you know, this this deified, like luminary light to guide us to to, to utopia. And on the other hand, um, when we have scientific evidence that there's a human member of a human species that is living, that is has a heart beating, that is, um, you know, responding to stimuli and music in the womb, we 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 shut that scientific uh consciousness now and we we go into you know talking about oh well you know um bunches of cells and and um you know it's a woman's body kind of thing you know um when it's a it's not a woman's body you know embryology 101 is saying sorry there's two bodies there you know um and number two you know it's it's yeah it, we, we we seem to have this this kind of politically correct um double thing going on and i think that's led to this really weird place where we're trying to uplift some minorities because they're, you know, and, and they should be uplifted, but other minorities and other communities that aren't in vogue or, uh, you know, aren't seen as of personal value, they're, they're, they're dropped like a, you know, mm. hot stone. So that's interesting. So thanks for those three points, 
It's good when there's three. Three is a really good number. Um, Apparently, you're speaking. Like there's every every like microscopic molecule, parts of atoms. I was just reading this the other day. Have three different stages. Like you've got gluons, muons, and truons, or something like that. And so, (laughs) it seems to be the nature of physical reality. We have this idea of three. Yeah. Um, As you were speaking about the three, I I was thinking about how they might be still. Um, hinting at something true, each of them. So going back to existentialism, which seems to be emphasizing the freedom over nature. So, um, and nature here meaning your human nature rather than just um, nature in general. So the idea that um, I don't want to be limited in in how I live my life and what becomes of me I don't want to be limited before I even get a chance by this um, some kind of conception of what what it is to be a human or something like that. But rather, um, I want my I want to be actually free, which means that we have to be open to something happening in my life that's never happened before, or something happening that. Um, maybe explodes the concept of pers- of, of humanity that we that we thought or um, whatever and I and I, I kind of see that there, there's there is something noble in that desire or there's something true in it that um, there's something about us where we often want to go beyond and we want to surpass the limits oh, I totally agree and but the irony is where does that come from? Where does that beautiful, creative, um, you know, kind of just mysterious urge come from within us to to go beyond and explore new worlds and strange civilizations and you know just just and and transcend our past and and do something truly authentic? It comes from our human nature. Yeah, it comes and from our nature. Yeah, comes from our nature. And so we're cutting off the branch we're sitting on when we're rejecting human nature as a whole, which has given us this gift, you know, of 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 living as an authentic choosing individual, you know, exercising our humanity to its, to its utmost flourishing, you know, and then we go and try and cut that branch off by saying, Oh, well, I can now just fly off the branch, you know, because I, I exist as a bird, you know, sorry, you're going to hit that ground. You're going to wake up you're going to climb back up the tree. You know, it's, it's, it's all of these ideas. I, I totally agree. They all have, they all have currency because they, they, they speak to our human nature. Existentialism mm. speaks to our human nature in that way. Um, cultural relativism speaks to our human nature and our wanting to understand, our wanting our humility that we don't have all the answers, that our culture is not superior to the Sudanese, you know, that our culture is in, in, in every way, I should say, you know. I mean, I think um, we've come out of this terrible, you know, 20th, 19th and 20th century of colonialism where cultures, I mean, the I was just reading about the Moriori people, you know, and how their culture was completely annihilated by by another culture coming in, you know, and that that cult and the Maori culture being being a, trying to assimilated by benevolent, you know, colonial, uh, you know, missionaries and you know coming in and and so yeah, of course, cultural relativism is a is a again it comes out of a human nature to to connect to other people, other humans, you know, regardless of their culture, you know, because we see value in them. And because their culture comes out of their humanity, 
then we we value that culture and we don't just just trash it just because we've got a different one. Again, culture. Where does culture come from? It comes from our humanity. Rabbits don't have culture. You know, my dog doesn't have a culture. You know, humans have culture. It's a uniquely human, uh, and it's a uniquely personal um, characteristic. And again, but it's it's when you put culture as the again you deify culture. You know, I, I um, just during this lockdown as an example. Um, I was um, there was a, there was a person in, in a street neighbor of mine who'd put out a leaflet in, in their letterboxes saying, "Hey, look, I'm the, I, I've been I volunteered to be a street captain for our local street to make sure check in with everybody, make sure everyone's okay. You know, our, our local MPs, you know, get, you know, got some good ideas and stuff. And they got a a, a, a a text message back saying, "Who do you think you are? You know, unless you're X culture, I won't say what the culture is. Unless you're X culture, you don't have any power over me. You don't have any you know mana to 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 to, to you know to to be my captain kind of thing. I reject your 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 kind of um, presumption, you know." And, and so, and that's a real, so I can't remember the point I was trying to make, but that, that just struck me as well, you know, that's, that's, that's an example of putting your culture above your humanity. These people are reaching out as from one human to another. And this person, unfortunately, you know, and, and, and trying to preserve, I don't know what they're trying to do, maybe finding that their culture has been threatened in the past by other members of that culture is, is saying, no, I'm going to squash your culture and, you know, because my culture is now better than yours, you know, it's, it's, um, so yeah, you have, again, it's this overreaction and this kind of deification of culture instead of honoring of it, you know, it's, mm. and then thirdly, what was the third point? The third point was uh, the double think, the double think. Yeah. Well, the double think again, I think it's tolerance, this, this, this worship of tolerance. I want to tolerate my, the person talking to me so much, I'm going to agree with them. Even though I don't, I don't agree. You know, Even, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm to tolerate and the diversity of opinions around me. I'm either going to take the hard way out and try and sift through them to find the truth, or I'm going to hold them all at once, depending on who I'm talking to. Right. Hmm. Um, and, and um, I, I think though, um, the, the whole double think thing, maybe, is also hinting at the structure of truth or the structure of reality, and that we often have. Um, we want to affirm, say, two things, which, on, at least on a superficial reading, appear to be in conflict with one another. And um, and we, we already saw that in the first two um, two points that you made, the one about existentialism, um, where there's this there's this tension between um, my 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 essence, my nature, and then my my individuality or my freedom or my existence as me and so there's a tension and it's like well how can they both be affirmed um right so so i think to get the to get we have to find the way to affirm them both and to place them in the right order um it was the same with the the second one um which was about now remind me Oh, that was about moral relativism. Yeah, moral relativism. Where, where we want to say we can't, um, we can't reduce um, ethics to simply a set of norms. Um, we can't just say, here's the rules, everyone just follow the rules, because it doesn't work, because the rules are really clunky. And there's, and there's always situations in which that rule doesn't quite fit 
And um, so we have we have these principles that we try and live by, but then the task of living them out, of applying them in the situation, requires um, some kind of creative spark. And sometimes I end up acting in a way that I would have said maybe in the past was wrong, but now I see, ah, but it's actually here because of this and because of that, um, I've, I think that this is the best approach to take. So that new new situations sometimes stretch our understanding of what's what's right um, or what's possible under under a um, a moral um, uh, umbrella or whatever. And so um, so we want to be able to have these tensions and to try and instead of just removing one thing and keeping the other, instead of just removing um, our our nature. And, and and keeping our um, our individuality or freedom, or instead of just removing um, my moral system or somebody else's moral system and replacing it with mine, we want to be able to say, actually, let's hold these two, maybe rub them together. And as we rub these two things together, we might it might generate something new and some new insight. Um, on that, on that though, you know, I think. Um... I agree. I agree. I'm not against, you know, in that third point, when I'm talking about double think, I'm not talking about diversity of opinion and debate and discussion and stuff, you know, and or having an internal monologue or dialogue, you know, within yourself. What is the right way to go here? I'm talking about something much, much more insidious. I'm talking about that both having both sticks and not rubbing them together. Yeah. And, and being happy with that. Because I think, and this feeds into this, you know, that the, the existentialist project, in my view, like leads into postmodernism and this kind of postmodernist view where the which is the most and the most insidious part of that is that the loss of faith and reason. The loss of faith, not faith and reason, faith in reason. That you've now got people coming across and saying that that reason itself is this Western imperial kind of cultural construct. Mm. And and it's, you know, it's, it can be taken or left, you know, it's just like another, another idea in the, in the mix kind of thing. Sorry. Once you do that, again, you're cutting off the branch you're sitting on. What we're doing right now is reduced to, you know, um, uh, karaoke, John, John, you know, we might as well be singing Imagine by John Lennon, you know, and, and to people, you know, for, for all the good it's going to do, you know, it it, 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 it means that what we're doing right now is a waste of time. Because, and, and that's the double thing I'm, I'm, I'm most, that scares the crap out of me, to be honest, because once you go across that bridge, you cannot, literally, you cannot reason with the person who's got a knife to your throat, you know, mm. or a knife to the throat of your cherished traditions and values and that, that, that people have died, literally died for in war, those freedoms and rights that people have died for in, in the war to, 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 to hold dear and to, to, to keep alive. You cannot even reason to the person trying to take those away, you know, because reason itself has just become another throwaway, you know, um, cultural construct, you know, and, yep. and uh, yeah, so that's, and then going back to personhood, that is the true nature of being in, inhumane. To be inhumane, in my view, is to throw away our rational nature, and that's mm. postmodernism, I think, risks yep. doing. Yeah, and no, I, I totally agree. Um so what I'm trying to do with the three points you made is sort of while agreeing with them, 
trying to identify that there's that each of them is pointing to something true that that we've kind of lost and that um, needs to be recovered in some way if we are to move forward. Um, but I think it's also it's helpful when you see the solution in the problem rather than just going, say, back and saying, well, let's just reaffirm what was said in the past in the same way that they said it then. Mm -hmm. um, because I think like we need to be aware of what was said in the past and, the, and to receive that. But then in our own time, in our own generation, it's like well, we need to sort of re-digest it and re-present it um, because we're, we're under a different, um, well, we're faced by different challenges. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's kind of exciting for me because I think this is where the... Uh, the, the whole thing of rubbing these two things together and generating something kind of new. I mean, it's sort of new, but it's sort of, it's sort of old as well, because I think wisdom is, is, is wisdom is like that. It's always new, but always ancient. Mm -hmm. um, and so what in the new thing that is generated, well, hopefully we're actually just um, rediscovering what past generations had already discovered, um, but that it has to be discovered. Um, it can't simply be um, handed to you on a plate from from the past, but there's that there's that effort of rediscovering that wisdom. And um, and you're right, it's not being it's not very evident in our in our social situation that much wisdom is being rediscovered. It's, it's sort of being um, being being thrown to the wind. Um, in many cases, you know, and, and that's you, you're quite right. I mean, that that's that gives me hope that you know, because the funny thing about human nature is it's very hard to get rid of it, even if you want to get rid of it. Uh, you know, I mean, look at the people who are trying to argue for the postmodern, you know, theses and stuff. You know, that that this idea of arguing against reason by by saying it's a you know um, a Western cultural construct. Even the arguing for that thesis is itself reasoning so so there's there's a sense yeah. where you know i don't need to be as worried as i am because there is yeah like you said there's there's a even in these misguided people that are doing that they're 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 they're, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot in that sense that, but in a good way because they're they're not they're not dehumanizing themselves by rejecting reason they just think that that they, they just think they're getting rid of it while they're becoming more human by doing more reasoning, you know. So mm. I think that's that's right. We've got a we've got a I suppose our our roles, you know, and in, in, in whatever mode we have in life is to help people to and ourselves to 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 rediscover the, the, to rehumanize themselves and each other. And by by reasoning with people, we're becoming more human. By them reasoning back with us, they're becoming more human. And then you know, and the truth will come out in the wash. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's. Yeah, I mean, I, I've um, in recent times um, developed a much more of an interest in the kind of philosophers of the twentieth century, in particular, because um, I, I did study philosophy um, quite a while ago, and I've always retained an interest in that. And as I think I've said on a previous podcast, there were times studying theology where I felt it was starting to move away from, um, not from a certain philosophy, not from certain philosophers, but from a philosophical spirit. And, um, and when that happened, I started to sort of ask myself, what, what's this all about? Like, 
um, this is starting to just become sort of a of a philosophical spirit. Um, it's a spirit that just accepts, say, concepts as they are, and doesn't ask what this means, or doesn't ask why, or what's that? Are you talking about dogmatism? I suppose so. I suppose it's it's a there's a tendency towards dogmatism, and where you are, it's not that it's not bad because you accept dogma. It's bad because you think that accepting dogma is enough mm. and, um, and that you're content to say, well, we have the truths. So let's just try and um, see how the truths maybe relate to each other. And that's doing theology. Um, whereas I'm, what I'm passionate about at the moment is exploring, um, exploring the mess, if you like, the philosophical mess, particularly of the 20th century. And trying to find in the mess um, clues to the way forward of how we can speak about um, about eternal truths, and um, so one of the philosophers that interests me a lot, who I spoke about in the last podcast, is Heidegger, um, who's sort of one of the early phenomenologists, and um, and so. There and and so he's really a part of the postmodern tradition rather than rather than the modern. Um, so for me, postmodern isn't the dirty word maybe that it used to be. Um, I see that the dangers in it if you, if it's just accepted uncritically. But actually, I think the clues are there in postmodernism because it's, as the name suggests, it's it's reacting against modernism, which maybe contained too much certainty was too formalistic, was too um, just relying on pure logic, was assuming that observation was just purely objective and um, so on, and wasn't self, wasn't very self-aware. And so then postmodernism comes in and, and starts becoming hyper, hyper self-aware, where we almost think, oh, wait, you're, now you're focusing on yourself too much. Um, but I think Overall, it's trying to overturn or overcome the um, the great gulf that had been created between me and the world, between the subject and the object, and um, and that's sort of what Heidegger does, in that he talks about being as really an encounter of me and 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 another. Um, as that's my very, very loose way of summarizing um, what he's on about. Um, and that's, I guess, something that I'm wanting to explore more about um, overcoming this sort of dichotomy between subject and object and seeing that where the action takes place is in the meeting of, of the two. Oh, yeah, I think, I think well, you know, and that's and that's the, the tension again as as human persons you know where to be rational you know, another really probably maybe neglected aspect of of of, of personhood is, is 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 our capacity for relationship you know in fact you know a lot of people would see that as defining you know uh, what what a what being a truly flourishing person is is to is to completely enter into relationship you know um you know, um, and so, hey, you know, uh, I'm willing to be, uh, you know, I'm willing to to be, con you know, converted from my anti 
my 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 post postmodernist uh, way. <laughs> but I mean, you know, because I mean, of course, you know, every, everything needs a cleansing fire to come through, you know, and uh, to 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 shake the cage and say, hey, you know, don't be so smug and you know, in your armchair and think you, you've got all the answers. And oh, I totally respect, you know, uh, people like Heidegger who have, you know, as, as, as asking the questions and not, and, you know, and have the, and, and, you know, saying, hey, you know, in this enterprise that we're in, we've got to be humble, you know, we got, we've got to be humble. We got, can't be too self-assured. Um, and, yeah, we've got to challenge those, those that dog, not so much the dogma, the, the dogmatic thinking, you know. I mean, it's mm. Building Lego, you know, you don't want to get the Lego X-wing fully made. You want to build it yourself, and then you get the the full, the full, um, you know, the, the child gets the full appreciation, you know, of by building it up yourself. I see, you know, when you're talking about seeing the mess, but then picking out the bits and rebuilding, you know, building up that common understanding. And I see a lot of value in that because then you're bringing someone else with you, you know, mm. you're in dialogue. You know, you're you're both walking toward somewhere you can both go because you're 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 using that terminology you're using those concepts that of of postmodernism but you're you're going somewhere with that you know um my worry is that when is when people stop walking you know either because they're too conservative and they think they've got all the answers or because they're too liberal and they think there's no answers they you know you fall into nihilism you know mm. oh, there's no truth it's all constructed why am I even existing, you know, and using up precious resources? Greta Thunberg would, would like to turn me into compost, you know, that maybe that's better. Maybe I'd better serve the world that way, you know. Who knows, you know. It's, so, <laughs> so yeah, there's, yeah, that, that dynamism you're talking about is, is massively. Very Lenten theme from compost you came into compost you shall return. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, uh, maybe this links back to, into um, the whole personhood thing, the, the, the emergence of, not the emergence of personhood, but I, I would say the emergence of the person. Um, in that one formulation that I really like is that we start treating our, our, our young ones as persons before they show the, um, the, the signs of it, of rationality. And if we didn't, then they wouldn't. So it's not just that we preempt it, but our preempting draws out of them the, the very things that we're preempting. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah. I was, I was getting a bit worried until you said draws out of them because I was, I was kind of thinking you're going down this kind of social constructivist thing where <laughs> you know, if you just let children, you know, like you know, play among themselves, they'll develop a natural language kind of thing, you know, like this kind of yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, absolutely, yeah. You, you're humanizing them by treating them as humans, you know, you're, or yep. you're personalizing them by treating them as persons, even though, yeah, they, they don't meet the personalist conception of, of a full person yet. You know, you've got a few more years to go, and then we'll, 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 we'll grant you some intrinsic value instead of just being, a, being a, a nice cuddly toy for us until you fully develop your personhood, you know? Um, yeah, well, imagine if you waited until your child could understand language before you started using language with them. Hmm. And they'd never learn language, obviously. So the only way to teach a child language is to is to act um, is to treat them as if they already understand language, and that's what we do with kids. Well, um, that's and then go back to biology. That the brain is built for that. The brain is so plastic, you know, when you're you're little, that you it, it will it will create those connections, you know, that you're expecting to be there. The the brain does just takes that input and 
miraculously, yeah, puts it together. And and I'm sure, you know, you've, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I mean, your your children are are um just seem to be very switched on and stuff. And so I think, hey, well, that there's some empirical evidence for your approach. You know, that they really seem to be pretty onto it. So um, good work. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I found it really interesting having children because I guess I've I've got to test out or maybe just observe um, <laughs> philosophical philosophical. <laughs> What's ideas. your terminology? <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah. not that they're guinea pigs, but it's more that you see things that you you kind of um, were convicted of, yeah, and then you see it embodied in this growing person and and so um what was just before something that you were convicted of now becomes something that you maybe you know or you understand from experience um so so that the i guess the the value of the person is is especially seen where their value is hidden and it's a funny thing um there's something particularly amazing about the child who can't do anything yet um and and what is it maybe you could say it's that we sense there's just huge potential there's so much un unrealized and unseen potential that um we and i think that's why we honor children so much we treat them or we treat them as very precious um at the best of times anyway we don't always but but um but i think few people would would disagree with that in general like we obviously we disagree about what counts as a child and so on but i think people agree that that we we see something very precious in a child Absolutely. and um yeah and it's a universal human experience isn't it yeah There's culture who 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 actually lives out the the personalist philosophy in their child rearing there's no culture and and that's that's a great test for any philosophical theory i always think mm. would you actually live this out in your life you know this 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 thesis you're defending there is no culture that i know of that that treats children like from infants up in direct proportion to their ability to do mathematics or speak or, or you know that kind of thing it's the exact opposite the most preciousness we ascribe to the youngest and most vulnerable right and i think that is such empirical evidence for the for for the physicalist view of a person you know that we we instinctively or not even instinctively but also rationally i think we 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 uh we see the value and the potential of these 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 persons you know we we and the value of them the preciousness in their potential in their second order capacities you know um, not their first order capacities, you know? and that's mm. I think that's a nail in the coffin of, of that of the theory, you know. Um. Mm. Yeah, um, there's also I guess a theme that runs through Western culture, and perhaps it's present in other cultures, but I'm not so familiar. And that is that we also have a heart for incapacity. Um, when we see someone who has an incapacity. Um, we're often quite moved by that, and um, and again, so it's it's connected with the the child and their their just potential, but maybe it's slightly different when it's perhaps it's an adult. So it's not like we see them bursting with unrealized potential, 
but we might see an adult who has a particular disability or an adult who particularly struggles with something or an adult who's very wounded in a certain area. Um, and sometimes we are struck by that and quite moved by it, especially if we see in them goodwill. So we see someone really striving to, to, um, to live a full life despite their, you know, um, their inability. We're more impressed by that sometimes than we are by just the, the person who's, who's amazing, who's great. Um, that tell us? That tells us that our second order capacities are much more valuable than our first order capacities. Again, again that's another clear example of that to me, mm -hmm. you know? That we're not we're not thinking. Well, he's got one leg. That means he's three quarters of a person. You know, it's just no. That's that's the exact opposite of what we actually think. We we see them struggling on. We have compassion. We have empathy. We ad have admiration for someone. Uh, you know, in that situation. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know. There's there's something that it's like that inability can become a bit of a window into um, an insight. You might say into that person um it it's kind of connected with with what i was um doing in my um theology thesis where i was looking at christ risen and wounded and so he's got these wounds which are um you know holes in his flesh or their deficiencies or their um their negatives um and yet they they utilized in the service of identifying himself expressing his intention his loving intention um and also welcoming which we see in the story with thomas welcoming us into a relationship so he says to thomas look at my hands and put your touch my side put your hand into my side he he uses them in order to extend an invitation in. Um, and I don't know, I think there's something on that in our human relationships too, um, that, uh, that our incapacities sometimes are the, they're a window into who I am, maybe, maybe a better window than my actual strengths. And they're also a door for somebody to encounter enter into encounter me to come um into a relationship with me well the christ is an interesting example you know because you know if christ is who he says he is the epitome of ultimate humanity you know he, he is he is that the the greatest if, if he's the greatest human he's the most human human he's the most personal person kind of thing so what and and so yeah that's that's really interesting because it's like um, he was incapacitated economically. He was so poor his parents couldn't even afford, you know, a lamb for his, you know, bar mitzvah type thing. You know, he was he was a refugee. He was incapacitated socially. He was rejected by his society. He was incapacitated in his familial understanding. His own family rejected him. He was incapacitated um, legally. You know, he had no rights. You know, he was incapacitated religiously. His religion rejected him. You know, he was incapacitated. And then in the final. Uh, analysis, you know, that, 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 what's Holy Week about? But it's that incapacity of of, of his, his bodily incapacity, you know, to the ultimate of, of execution. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting thing to meditate on. That he 
he he didn't really display a lot, even a lot of the first order capacities that you know often society values, you know, like superficial society values. You know, yet he was the most human of us of us all, really. So, hmm. I mean, um, and, and even when you take into account his miracles and his teaching, where yeah, um, of course he does stand out um, quite a lot in that regard. But um, you see this especially in John's gospel that. Uh, when he gets the sense that people are following him because he's a miracle worker, he gets quite upset, mm. and um, and he he really they're they're following him. They're his followers. They're supporting him, um, but then he starts attacking them, and because um, because up because he wanted some free bread. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's he's like you haven't understood, you haven't got it. These these signs were meant to be signs pointing to something else. Beyond. But you were just after the signs, yeah. and um, and and what they're pointing to is is exactly what you were talking about the. Or, or you were talking about the um, the ways in which you know on a human level, he's lacking, um, but so maybe it's not pointing exactly to that, but it's pointing to something beyond itself. It's pointing to something interior, um, rather than just oh, we're we're hooked on the signs now. And um, and let's let's indulge in those as much as we can. Um, well, you can you can draw you can draw that the incapacity. It's not incapacity for incapacity's sake. I mean, go back to the example um, of the of the you know the, the, the disabled person trying to cross the street kind of thing, right? You what 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 is in us is to go to that person and help them across the street, you know. So it's like the the going back to that personal idea of relationship that the incapacities draw us into relationship, you know, mm. I mean, those you know, like going back to Christ, that the wounds draw us into relationship with him because, you know, this is how much, look how much he loved them, you know, um, that kind of, that kind of self-sacrificial love, which, which even embraces one's own incapacities or incapacitizes oneself to reach out, to help someone else, you know, to, mm. um, it all kind of links into that that kind of real personal relationship building, doesn't it? You know, of, yeah. Um, which which makes us most human. You know, we, we cannot. I think your buddy um, Balthazar was talking about. You know, we can't even be fully human without having being in relationship. We, mm. you know, even Balthazar goes so far as to say rocks and and rabbits and anything that exists in a sense doesn't exist unless it has some kind of relationship. You know with value with something else you know there's there's no ontological validity there unless there's some form of relationship even if it's a you know um relationships with the laws of nature or something like that so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah so relationship gets really close to being itself mm. um um and as you were speaking i thought another example of this is is the lockdown that we're currently experiencing um i've been finding that people are more open generally speaking Same. to to a conversation mm. so when you pass someone on the street i found it much easier to strike up a little bit of a chat because you can yeah. just say oh how are you guys doing um it's like we we all are, are under this incapacity you know this restriction and because we're all under the restriction where we feel quite connected with one another um and you can imagine you know if every person was totally uh, able in every respect 
there wouldn't be much need or excuse or reason to connect with another person. Mm. Like, you know, it's all right, I've got my food sorted out. I grow my own vegetables and and, and rear my my own stock. And I also have my own factory for, you know, processing it. And, Mm. um, uh, you know, and I... I've got all my entertainments and um, I know I've got really great health and, you know, list goes on. Well then I don't need anyone else. And, and probably no one would dare to approach me because then I might just go. Yeah. That, that point you're making really links into that, that parable of the, uh, or that saying of Jesus, um, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's not bashing rich people. He's, he's bashing this, this, this false idea of self-sufficiency, which mm. cuts us off from other humans around us and therefore cuts us off from our own humanity and therefore cuts us off from that eternal relationship, you know, or, or that, that, um, with God as well. It's, it's that, mm. that, that false wall that, that we're tempted to put up through the illusion of self-sufficiency. And, and uh, yeah, like you said, during this time, you know, we're, you know, this, this, COVID-19, it's, it's getting literally the top Boris Johnson to the bottom, you know, of society. It's, there's no one, no one has any illusions of, you know, it's crazy people. They don't have any illusions that they're somehow immune to, to, to this, you know. And so we are, in a sense, got to have, have that really strong feeling. We're all in the same boat, you know. Um, yeah, no, it's very, very interesting um, times that we live in, I suppose. Um, another thing that comes to mind related to this and that relates to holy week which we're in at the moment the week leading up to um, good friday and easter sunday is that um the washing of the feet is is you know one of the one of the events that we all um recall on holy thursday even if there won't be mass and there won't be the actual liturgical celebration of the washing of the feet um but i was in a discussion um with my boss, the chaplain, Father Chris, the other day about this, and he made the point that in um, in the ancient culture in which Jesus lived, washing of the feet did have quite a specific meaning. And um, he said uh, a disciple would not wash the feet of a master, but, but a wife might wash her husband's feet because um, it actually implied a certain intimacy. Mm. Um, and so when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, it's not just, and it's not even first of all, oh, he's, he's a humble servant. It's, um, it's first of all, he is encountering them in, a, in an intimate way and, um, and, and expressing his communion with them. Wow, I, I've never heard that interpretation, but it really resonates. I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah, and and I I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, it's interesting that he's encountering them in the part of their body that's the dirtiest, and that when you encounter someone in the part of the body that's the dirtiest, that most intimate of encounters. Um, so, it's like on a spiritual level. The same is going on with our, us and our sin, that he wants to encounter us on that level of our sin, which, you know, requires our consent. Mm. But um, that's where 
um, if we let him wash us, wash what is dirtiest in us, then that's that's the maybe a way that he wants to enter into a relationship. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's a great thing I think for us to meditate on in Holy Week, even if um, we can't say go to confession. People normally go to confession before Easter, and and so they kind of experience that bearing their their sins to Jesus in a sacramental way. Um, but I don't think we have to just remain in our sins because we don't have the sacrament. I think um, it's just that Jesus is going to come in a way that's not necessarily sacramental. Um, I was thinking of with my family doing a little washing of the feet on Thursday. Yeah, uh, it's something I have done in community before when I was leader of um, the Catholic Discipleship College, and there was at least one year I think where uh, I think it was myself and the priest chaplain we washed the feet of the of the students and other staff. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite a um, it's quite a meaningful gesture, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I've been part of retreats where yeah we've we've done a uh, a washing of the feet uh, ceremony as well, and it's yeah that that sense of intimacy and and yeah yeah that humanity is is really strong in that room in that chapel at that time you know and it's um, mm. people people feel quite emotionally touched by that that experience as well you know it's, um, and I just I just came came into my mind that that criticism by Nietzsche of Christianity as being like a slave religion or religion for the weak, you know, uh, and uh, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it is. It's a religion for the weak. And guess what? We're all weak, you know, <laughs> we're all, we've all got those incapacities. We've all got, we all need to be washed, you know, we, we all, and we all desire for that greater communion and that greater, mm. that greater um, connection with people, you know, and that, that, yeah. deep, that relationship, you know. Yeah, I, I guess uh, though it depends on what sort of weakness we're talking about because yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there is a weakness, a true weakness that we have that I guess we need to acknowledge. And then there's the weakness of failing to acknowledge it. Yes. And, um, exactly. yeah. um, and I, I think that we're definitely vulnerable to that critique because um, I think another quote from Nietzsche is something like, Catholics, um, they think they know everything, but they don't understand anything. <laughs> and uh, and by that, I think he was referring to the the um, the person stuck in dogmatism, mm. who says, oh, you know, we've got all the the teachings of the church, and you know, I sort of know what they are, the and therefore I, I understand uh, all of all of reality. Yeah, we can look down, uh, knows that all the all the uh, you know all the other you know poor pathetic people around us who don't have you know what we've got you know it's they're all pharisaical what how do you say pharisaical pharisaical uh you know approach that i think if anything really pissed jesus off i think that really you really want to piss jesus off be like that yeah well it's it's the um it's the refusal to receive um in a simple way the truth again i sort of think that the truth is sort of something you know, but it's also something that you have to keep receiving again and again. You have to receive the insight again, freshly. It's like a meal, you know. You don't just eat, continue to eat the scraps of um, of the meal you, that you made at the beginning of the week that you left out of the fridge. Um, you need like fresh, 
food and i think for our for our mind we need to re-encounter the the truths again and again in a fresh way um because our understanding of them is often quite fleeting it's like you you have a moment of insight and then and then it's gone and you can't quite just recreate it you have to have another moment um like there, there is stuff that you know but the real valuable stuff is the stuff you can't fully grasp they're just or, on, you know I was talking to a, a young guy. He was like, "What? Why do we have this cycle? This that, that every year we have Easter and Christmas and Lent, and it's like, come on, you know, we, we know all the we know all the scriptures. We know, you know, we get it now, kind of thing. You know? And it's just it's tying into what you're saying. We get it, but we don't, you know. Every and that's the beautiful, beautiful thing. We have this this cycle where we every year we get to. To, to, to do what you're saying and have the meal fresh again and, and it's not stale last year's inside it's this year's you know fresh eyes fresh food fresh eyes and, mm. and fresh opportunities to to you know to taste taste it to really get, get teeth into it yeah and so I, I think even um sort of going back to the to the beginning and talking about personhood and and we can certainly lament and perhaps we should um the loss of wisdom that we're seeing in our society at large by the, the sort of policies that are, that are being enacted and, and the general ignorance of, um, about um, this philosophical theological tradition that, that, that we have and, and so on. But at the same time, that loss is an opportunity for a, a regaining again. And at least in the loss, um, there might be a little bit less uh, temptation to, to think, oh, we've got it all together. Um, but rather, we, we realize that we really haven't, and we're having to really um, use all our efforts to try to um, not to lose um, this wisdom and, and to find ways to, to re-express it and to, um, to, to present it in a way that's fresh and that can be received as well as possible or something like that yeah i mean and, and you know look we're in holy week and and we're coming you know to the end of lent and that that's what lent's all about isn't it that's this kind of um yeah just just and also just realizing that hey you know even even the perfect person you know was a failure you know an abject failure in the eyes of the world after you know and and so we can't be too hard on ourselves and our own you know, minuscule efforts to to be human and to humanize others. You know, um, we you know we we've, we've, we just do what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So maybe we'll leave it at that as the the final word. Um, thanks very much to Cedric for um, coming on Eager Feet. Oh, it's been my pleasure, mate. Well, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, and um, to all those out there. Um, I'm still doing podcasts, obviously, during the lockdown, and I'm definitely keen to connect with um, with more people for conversations um, like this. So um, if you desire to be a part of this, get in touch with me at cameron.s at cda.org.nz. But yes, you've been um, journeying with us on Eager Feet, where we journey from the mundane to the sublime and back. <laughs>